Hey, appreciate you guys. Great. Well, the story continues. Do you want the next bit? So anyway, uh, feels like a bedtime story, but don't go to sleep. You've got to appreciate in Israel's days they come into the, to the promised land, into, in, into modern day Israel, and modern day Jerusalem, and all those areas of land, that they were accustomed to God being geographically located. God was here, and for them in those early years, probably the first, I don't know, 100 or so years, God was located at Shiloh in the tabernacle, a temporary structure in a permanent place. It's not until later on, many hundreds of years later, that Jerusalem was built, and they built a temple in Jerusalem. Um, but they had a con- the concept that God could be here and there and everywhere was foreign to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. Um, to be honest, today there is just literally thousands and thousands of precious Jews who live in Jerusalem who still had that concept that God is only found in a place. Okay? Only found in a place. And that they're called traditional Jews in some sense is because they believe in the Old Testament part of the Bible that God's located in a place, but he's not, the New Testament is not a part of their belief system. And so as I talked to a taxi driver this two, just um, probably about 12 days ago when I was coming back uh, from uh, somewhere I'd been with Michelle, I said to him, I talked to him, I thought, I'll find out where this guy's really at. And he was a traditional Jew because in his eyes, Jesus had not yet returned. He hadn't returned at all, hadn't come. And yet the Messiah, well, not so much Jesus, but he called him the Messiah. The Messiah was yet to come. And his thought was, because it's been prophesied in Old Testament, the Messiah, the Savior, would come on a donkey. He said to me, I think a bit tongue-in-cheek, he said to me, you know what? Which donkey is he going to come on? There's thousands of donkeys in Jerusalem. And I looked at him, I thought, are you serious? I didn't say anything, but he was kind of being funny because uh, anyway, he was, he was kind of reflecting to me the truth that he just simply believed Old Testament, not New Testament. And Jesus was simply a good man and a prophet who'd come along with many other prophets in history and he wasn't the savior of the world. So that was an interesting conversation. But the fact is, is that the Jewish people still see God, many Jews still see God as in, in a location God's here, but he couldn't be everywhere. Um, which is interesting because, in actual fact, um, this idea um, that God could be here in this place as well as there, that God could be in your life today as well as some, while in the people in the front seat as well as the people over there, God could be here as well as the people over there in that seat, that would be totally foreign to their understanding and that could never be possible. But it's interesting because we see a further example of this, if you're not quite sure, of the Israelites and they'd been dwelling in the land for about nine, um, for a long time and about 900 BC, uh, the people of Israel still had the paradigm or the thought process or the concept that God was found in a certain place. And if I just show you a couple of verses real quickly, 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23. We'll just go to that. I just want to read this a couple of verses from 1 Kings chapter 20. This is the book of the Old Testament that records all the kings of Israel, okay? There was many of them. And, this, and it says here, Then the servant of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. 
Therefore, they were stronger than we because they already had, if we keep on, oh, is there a... Is there a little bit more to that verse? There we go. Therefore, they were stronger than we, but if we fight against them in the plain, surely we'll be stronger than they. Here's an interesting thought. See, I'll give you a background of this quick story. Ben, um, ben Hadar uh, was the king of Syria, and Ahab was the king of Israel, and they were um, about to, they'd engaged in a fight already. And when this vast army of Syria had come up in the mountains, um, they'd kind of lost to the Israelites. And they thought, just wait a sec, we forgot. Their God dwells in the mountains. Our God dwells in the plains. So let's fight him on the plains and we'll win. So uh, this is what happened. So we see, and in their, their thought process, God gave them, uh, he heard what they said. And so he gave them some theology in verse 28. We'll go to another verse of 1 Kings chapter 20. And it says this, 28. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel, Ahab, and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is God on the hills, but he's not God of the valleys or the plains, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hands, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so the battle took place. The pagan people were saying, Israel's God's in the hills, not on the plains. Let's fight him on the plains. We'll win. The truth is, is the Israel army compared to the Syrian army was quite small. But the Israelite army came down on the plains and they beat, the, they, they completely slaughtered the Syrian army. And yet with less than half the number of um, um, soldiers. And so God shows us. And he showed Israel he was continually trying to promote the reality and the fact that God is everywhere. Now, you and I, that's not a foreign concept to us, is it? We, we didn't grow up in a Jewish family or on the time of Israel. We understand that God is everywhere. But you've got to appreciate it wasn't easy for these people to grab that concept because God had always been in the desert with them when they were wandering through the desert as a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. That was where God was. God was located somewhere. And then when they camped, he'd come down into the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle, and that's where God was located. And so we see this this. this God continually, can I be honest with you, God never intended to be located in a geographical spot. Or you and I had real trouble worshipping this morning, wouldn't we? We'd all have to go to the, to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, according to the Jews, and that's where we'd find God. Well, that's a bit of a, a that's about a 13-hour plane flight every Sunday morning. I don't think we'd like to do that. I'm just glad that God is, you know, it's easy for us to grasp the concept that God is everywhere. But here's the point I want to make this morning. Unfortunately, human nature hasn't changed too much. Now, we have the understanding that God is everywhere, that we can talk to him in church here this morning, we can talk to him at home, we can talk to wherever we want to be. God's presence is there. But the reality is, um, um, is that human nature, we can sometimes get into the same rate rut, I should say, that the ancient Christian Jewish people got into. And that is that God is here, but not there. And we like to locate God sometimes as Christians. We like to locate him. We like to locate him sometimes in a feeling. Or sometimes, you know, oh, I can feel God here, but I didn't feel him over there. You know, when I go to work, I don't sense his presence. But when I come Sunday morning to church, I sense his presence. Or I sense his presence in a certain room. And, you know, um, and, and different things like that. Sometimes we can just locate him. I'm just glad that David said, 
King David, I think David got it after a while, and he said in Psalm 129, verses 7 and 8, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Um, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. In other words, David come to understand whether you're going through a good time or a bad time, a heavenly time or just a hellish time, you know what? God's presence doesn't depart just because it's all turning bad for you. Aren't you glad about that? He doesn't kind of flee the building when, you know, uh, when, even when we do the wrong thing. I'm just glad that, in actual fact, I think God draws clear, nearer to people because he wants them to turn to him in those times. In actual fact, he's always there, all the time, always ready. And as the famous um, philosopher said, if God is far away from you, guess who moved? Not him. <laughs> So we've got to understand that our nature sometimes, can we can, we can feel like we, we can locate God in certain things. Sometimes we can locate God in a style of service. Oh, he's in this service, but he's not in that service. Do you know what? I think God's in every service in the city of Gladstone this morning. I think God is for every race, every tongue, every nation. I think he's for all. I think he's there. This morning, we're not exclusive today. In actual fact, God can be everywhere in every service. And you, oh, no, 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 we need certain songs for God's presence. No, you don't. <laughs> you just need a certain heart. <laughs> oh, well, I like those fast songs. Well, that's good. But God's presence is there as much as God's presence is in the hymn. In, in every song, those heartfelt songs that have been written by people with a passion. God, God, see, let's not locate him in something that, well, the good old days. I just, God was back there in the good. No, 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 folks, he's still here today. Oh, I just would like it back then, like then. No, oh, no, 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 no. Please don't miss the moment today. God's presence. We can locate him, can't we, sometimes in these places? Sometimes. We can, we can locate him in, a, in, you know, in just in the good circumstances, as I said, and not in the bad. But he's there in the bad and the good. I'm just glad of that. Um, I'm just glad that he's a God that's located in all these places. Um, sometimes we can locate him in parts of our life and not locate him in other parts of our life. Can I, can I just read a New Testament story about a, a, a young guy who, was, um, who had this problem uh, you, know, you know, like you could divide your heart up into little rooms and you say, God, come and invade those parts of my life. But these other things, you can't have that. You can't be a part of that. Now, we never say that. It's just that we live our life that way. I'd never say to God that I've got doors that are closed to him in my heart. Never. I don't even think that. But you know what? I've discovered in my life sometimes there is. And I've got to let him. I, I've, I've, I've kind of stopped... I put a sign up, no entry to God, and I didn't mean to, and you mightn't have meant to, or, or sometimes we didn't think we were, but in life, sometimes we discover that we have. Can I read about a young guy who had? Can I just go to Mark chapter 20, uh, sorry, chapter 10, and verses 17 to 21? It says this, Now as he was going out on the road, one, uh, one came running. Jesus was walking out on the road. 
one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, talking to Jesus, this is a, what shall I do that I might have eternal life? Good question. Isn't that a great question? I think we could all ask that question one day. All of us, not one day, all the time. So Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but that which is God. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness or lie. You shall not defraud people. You honor your father and your mother. And this young man, he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Ever since, you know, you've been a young guy, I've kept these commandments. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Oh, do you know when you're loved by God, God's going to be honest with you? Sometimes we say, God, just love me, God. Well, expect the honesty about that. Because God disciplines those he loves, Hebrews chapter 11 or 12. And if you're feeling the rod of discipline this morning, that's okay. You're just being loved. You're not sure of that? It's okay. You're just being loved. Because who would worry about loving you? What's the, what's the, what kind of person doesn't want to help you get better? They would never love you if you never feel the, maybe that sense of, oh, this is a bit difficult, this is hard, but I've got to... And, you know, anybody who doesn't want to be stretched sometimes doesn't want to be loved. It's a general statement. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I've kept all these, teach all the things I kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack, young man. Didn't say young man, but he says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. But, verse 22, there's always a but, but, verse 22. There's a lot of buts in the Bible. And you need to listen to the buts because sometimes they're good, they're really good um, answers to what has been the previous verse. And Jesus says, but he was sad at this word. This is the young man and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions or great wealth. Okay, here's the story. See, we young man, he was beyond reproach. He had kept his nose clean. He was a good young man. There's probably a lot of good young people or good people here this morning. You don't never murdered. You never killed. You never stole. You honor your mother and father. You don't rip people off. You don't lie. You know, we've all done that. You know, we've all been pretty good. You know, I couldn't say I'd be one of them. I think there's times when probably I have said the wrong said, just a little stretched the truth too far. So I'm not perfect, but you know, that might be just me. None of you, I understand that. So but this young this man, he'd kept his nose pretty clean. He he was a good young man. And and he and, and one of the things he'd done, he is but he was um He's, he'd placed God. Unfortunately, when Jesus came along to challenge him about him being a good young man, which is a great start to life, you need to be good. We all want to be good because you reap what you sow. But we see when Jesus knew his life and he could see into his heart and he put his finger on that part of his life that was a sore point, he had to walk away and say, I can't do it. When Jesus said to him, come on, um, because this young man, he, he, what he'd done was place God all of his life, all of his life, he'd placed God in a part of his life, but not all of his life. Okay? He'd placed God all his life in a part of his life, not all his life. It, that doesn't, that, I hope that makes sense. And he, said, and he had said, God, you can be here, but you can't be there. Now, he hadn't verbalized that. He didn't even think that was what he was doing. But when Jesus came up, who knows, the closer you get to the God's presence, the more God reveals to your heart. 
And so the closer he got to Jesus, the more Jesus revealed to him, yeah, 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 you place God here. You locate God in certain parts of your life, but you, you don't allow God in other parts of your life. And so, like Israel, where can we find God? In Shiloh. We've got to go there three times a year. That's what they would do. Three times a year they'd go. Hannah went there, and, and that's, it was good for her. She prayed, and God delivered and gave her a baby boy. But you know, where was God? In Shiloh. Could he be out in the tribes and the lands all over Israel? No, God's in Shiloh. And then eventually... When Jerusalem established and the city of David was built and they built a temple for the first time, the first temple, because they built two, the first temple, where do you find, if you asked any Jew, where do you find God? In the temple in Jerusalem. And it's like us. We say, oh, where's, where's God? Now, we never say this. Well, God's in my life. But part of God is left out. We locate him in another place. We don't locate him in some of those parts that are really oh, tender and pressing and you know, God wants to put his hand upon them. We don't locate him there at all. So we allow God to come in in what parts we do want to show him and other parts we don't want to locate him in. The reason this young man was not fulfilled in his life because his unwillingness was to give over those parts of his life. See, Jesus didn't want him poor. Because he said to him, give your possessions to the poor. He didn't want him poor. He was just saying, Take, would you loosen the grip on your money and not place it first in your heart? The love of money, it wasn't money. It was the love of money that he had a struggle with. He said, would you loosen the grip on that? And would you please you know, hand it, show me, reflect to me that you've loosened the grip on it by giving it to those who are needy. Wow. That was a big call. And he wasn't willing to take that step because... He didn't know up to that point maybe that that was a part that was a struggle in his heart. That was a struggle and he didn't realise it. I uh, find that interesting. Do you know there's a verse in the Bible, Acts 17, 28. Acts 17, 28. Let me do my shoelace up before I trip over it. Acts 17, 8 says, For in him we live and we what? move and have our being. In him we live and we move and we have our being. Can you grasp the reality of what was, what was being said there in that verse? It's in him, it's in Jesus that we live. It's not in his location, it's not geographical place, it's not a feeling, it's not a thing, it's not a service, it's not a song, it's not a person, it's not a place. It's in him that we live. Let's explore that for a moment. In him we live. There's three things. We live. How did this young man, he wanted life. Didn't this young man want to live? That's what he said. Would you give me eternal life? Can, how can I have eternal life? He said to Jesus. See, this young man was, he wanted life. He wanted to live. He didn't want to, be, but the truth is he didn't know at that time that parts of his life was a bit dead, but he knew there was something empty in his heart. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come to Jesus in the first place. And Jesus put his hand upon him and located it and said, you haven't given over the love of money. Not money, the love of money. Now, there can be many things in your life. It's not just money. There can be many things that we sometimes don't allow God to have. Sometimes it can be the unwillingness to, be, to forgive. 
And we thought we have forgiven people, but you know, when, when sometimes uh, something or somebody comes and just talks about this, that you, oh, you feel that pain. You think, oh, that's a part I need to hand over, but you're unwilling because it's painful to touch those areas. So maybe it's unforgiveness that we haven't given, and maybe it's jealousies that we haven't given over. Maybe it's the love of money, could be one. Maybe it's anger issue that we haven't yet yielded to God. I can tell you about that one when I was younger. Had to yield that one up to God. It can be addictions of anything that makes you drop everything to get it or to have it or to do it. Any addiction. See, maybe it's things like that we haven't, we don't realize that we haven't given it over. And, but the more you draw near to God, the more He shows you and reveals to you, hey, you need to surrender that. Because, like this young man, you want to have life in that area and not death. And I've discovered that the more I hang on to the things that are damaging my soul and my heart and life, they want to eat me up and cause death and not life. I don't want that. But sometimes we don't realize what we don't need until we get into a situation that we react to and we find out, oh, I need to. That's why did I react like that? Let me, let me share with you. I, I, um, I used to enjoy, um, I, I enjoy sport. These days, more watching it than playing it. But um, when I was, I played touch football up to the age of about 46 until I fractured, dislocated my left shoulder, and I thought, maybe I need to give this up. The, the brain is willing, the body isn't. And, um, but I do remember one night, many, many, many years before I finally um, finished playing touch football, is that I, uh, I had a seven o'clock game Monday night and I was at home by myself. Michelle and the girls were out somewhere and I had to get to the game by seven and uh, it was just down the road um, at Marley Brown Oval and I thought, you know, I've got plenty of time. And I got to quarter to seven. I thought, oh, I better get going. So I thought I went and got my clothes out of my um, cupboard and I dressed myself. And then uh, it was uh, like five to seven. I thought, that's just enough time. And I went to look for the car keys, and they weren't there. And so what had happened, I discovered in the process of getting dressed, I'd put my car keys somewhere. I couldn't find them. And so, um, so for the next five minutes, I am desperately trying to find my car keys because I want to get to the game on time. Who's ever had that experience? You want to be somewhere and you just can't find something. And so I desperately tried to find the car keys. For the next 15 minutes, folks, I turned everything upside down. And it wasn't until quarter past seven until I found my car keys in the cupboard where I got my clothes from, touch football clothes. And you know, now, that's not really an issue. Touch football isn't the problem. You know what was the problem was the anger and the frustration and the attitude I had because no one else was home, so I could let it, really let it go. And um, <laughs> so, and I... And, the attitude I had, and I thought, James, this is not generally you, but it is you. You've got to own up to it. You, you've, got a, you've got a problem here. And as I started to think, because I got to the game and played the second half, and then I came and started to think about, well, you've got to have times of reflection. You've got to let God in into your life. And so as I started to think about why have you got such anger and frustration over missing the first half of a touch football game, and the answer and reply was pretty simple, because you put that first in your life as a priority over and beyond and above me. Come on, cut it out. Oh, that's hard, God. But it was the truth. And it wasn't until I got into the situation that I discovered what what, that little room that I had stopped God from locating in or being a part of. I'd located him in a lot of other stuff in my life. I'd given him a lot of, but there was things that I'd stopped. And I said, well, you know, that's my time, God. That's my time. Why would you take that off me? 
I need that sport because, you know, I, I, I'm sometimes sipping cups of teas and sitting down. Like, I need some activity, God. That's me, you know. And so I had this attitude and I, I found and I discovered I have to surrender it. And, you know, as I've gone on now and I, I like to go for a run and sometimes I have to surrender that. You know, Saturday morning, this Saturday morning, I go to Park Run every Saturday morning and I got up and I just sensed, you know what, James, just forget about Park Run. You just need to prepare. You need to prepare out and get ready for Sunday because you've been away. And so I had to surrender it. But, you know what, I've discovered that I've got a little bit better at it now and I think God you're growing me I must have not put sport first anymore because I didn't get upset I get, so you know God just wants to take it and you don't discover that until sometimes you find your attitude is shifting and it's a wrong attitude and you've got to deal with it the second thing that God that the scripture says is not it says not only do we live but we move this young man had located God in some parts of his life but failed to locate God in other parts and he failed to dedicate those parts to God. But you know what? God wants your whole life to move together in him all the time. Every part of your life to move together. He wants there to be a synergy, a unity. In other words, sometimes we can locate God. Well, God, your, Sunday is your time, God. But then Monday's my time. And then Tuesday, well, maybe I'll give you... You know, we don't say this, but we do locate God. Sometimes we, we drift away from God through the week until we get to the Sunday. And then we all oh, come back to Him. You know, I'm not saying this is everybody's experience, but I'm just trying to give examples. And sometimes we locate God. Well, that's my family time. Church time, work time, sport time, television watching time, computer playing, games time. And God, you, you, you know, but I'll give God, you know, then there's God time. Folks, I want to tell you today, God wants to be a part of every time. He wants to be a part of every, there's nothing wrong with computer games or television as long as it's healthy or sport or family. Why don't you make, you know, why do we have to compete with all these things? And they don't need to be compete. You just need to let God be a part of everything of your life. And say, well, you know, I've got this time and, you know, if I give God Sunday, he'll give me Monday. No, no, no. It's his. It's every day is his. Every moment. Why don't you bring God into your family time? Why don't you bring your family to church and make church family time as well? There you go. Why don't you see that as a part? Why don't you make beach time God time as well? No, we don't have to go into, you know, on the beach with your family. You don't have to, you know... Um, you know, all of a sudden break into a prayer meeting on the beach or whatever. No, I'm just saying be aware and realize that, you, you know, that God's there with you, that he's ever present, that he's a hope. He, wherever you are, he's there. He's not located in a geographical spot. He's everywhere. You take him with you in his, his presence. He doesn't want there to be these certain times. He wants all time to be his and your time. And he wants all your time to be a blessing. So um, we need to realize this young man had located God in a certain part, you know. He didn't see the synergy of everything. His money could be God's as well. And he could be blessed by that as he gave it. Um, can't work, you know, why can't work time be part of my time with God as much as my personal time of prayer? Why don't you go to, you know, instead of going to work, why don't you bring God into that workplace? I actually think that's what Jesus wants us to do. Let it be his time as well. I've had some of the greatest experiences about work. You know, when I was working in the power station, um, it was dynamic times of seeing people wonder Jesus. No, no, that doesn't happen. I remember a young man came to me. He was actually um, a cousin of mine who worked at the power station. And he came up to me because I used to go and pray. I used to sometimes just go down into the... Um, 
into the locker room and just sit and read my Bible and pray. And he came down to me because he knew where he'd find me. Not every week. I used to go into the lunchroom and play 500 cards as well and, and uh, had a great time doing that and being a witness. But sometimes I just felt I just need to go down. And, and this time he came down to me and, um, and I was just reading my Bible and he said to me, he said to me, how do I become a Christian? I thought, far out. That's a great question. And so I shared with him. He says, would you, I'll come to your place this afternoon after work straight away. And would you lead me to come to know this God? I said, oh, let me think about it. <laughs> He's my cousin. And that afternoon he came and I led him to Jesus. And I thought, where did that come from, God? Where did that come from? Maybe, maybe it was just not me, but other people who'd spurred something in his heart that he could see was what he wanted. Maybe like this young man, but he, but he knew there was an emptiness, but he needed eternal life. He needed something fresh. It let God invade every part of our places where we live and dwell and have our being. It's in him. It's in him. You know, I was, uh, when I was 19, I had a cold and car, I had a car with a steel bumper bar. That doesn't happen today. And um, it was a chrome-plated steel bumper bar. It was a Holden Kingswood. And as an 18-year-old, I was just so excited about having a car. And, uh, still, and on that bumper, who remembers bumper stickers? Has anybody ever had a bumper sticker? Has anybody still got a bumper sticker? No? See, they're out of fashion now, aren't they? But anyway, <laughs> I had a bumper sticker. And it was, a, it was... Now, I look back and it was a bit corny. But the reality, what it said is, is a big one, like this long, this thing. And it said, God is my pilot, I'm just the co-pilot. Who remembers? Some of you might remember that bumper sticker. God is the pilot, I'm a co-pilot. I was in Rockhampton and uh, I was studying, I was at college there for a little while. And I'd, I was driving around, I was an 18-year-old. And I pulled up to this um, uh, level crossing, train crossing. It didn't have boom gates, it just had a stop sign. You had to stop. Remember those times you actually had to stop at those places, there was no boom gates. And so I, I'd done the right thing, I pulled up. I thought, you know, no one's around. But then a car pulled right up behind me, really close to my bumper bar, and, and, and I couldn't even see the roof of it. I could just see these two guys in the front seat. And, um, and, and I thought, well, that's a bit close. And so, you know, so I thought, well, you know, they're a bit pushy. So I took off from the uh, stop position and I, you know, because it was a straight road and there was no one there. And I just bang. And all of a sudden, this car that was behind me had a blue light. <laughs> and these two men put their caps on. And so I pulled over and they came around the side and they said to me, did you realize you were speeding? I said, absolutely realized. I'm sorry, um, I'm guilty. And then they said this, who do you want us to give the fine to? <laughs> true, true. Who do you want us to give the, the, the ticket to? I look at them and I'm, I'm scratching my head. And I thought, don't be cheeky, James, just because, you know, it doesn't help being cheeky. And I, and I thought, um... And then it clicked. And I looked at them and they said, do you want us to give it to God or to you? And I said, no, God had nothing to do with this. It was my problem. They said, good answer. We were just wondering because of the sticker on the back. <laughs> the truth is, 
God needs you to realize that he does want to be your pilot of every issue and every situation in your life. And we can sometimes relegate into the back seat or the boot, and he says, you know what, I want every part of your life. Now, we never do it on purpose sometimes, but we've got to be aware of the things that we locate God and don't locate God. Here's the last thing this morning. It says, the Bible says, it's in him we have our what? Being. We'll finish with this. The young man had made all his life about doing. I do the right thing by my parents, I honor them. I do the right thing by others, I never defraud them. I do the right thing, I never lie. I never steal. I never commit. I do, 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 do. Do you know what? You are a human being. You've heard it. Not a human doing. Sounds horror, doesn't it? But the reality is you're a human being. And when we refuse to locate God or compartmentalize God and place God in our whole lives, then those things in our lives aren't competing against each other, family time, God time, television, whatever. They're not competing. And I start to focus on who I'm becoming rather than simply what I'm doing. Did you hear me? We start to focus then on who I'm becoming and we get reflective and we allow God into our lives and we just don't because a lot of us do, do, do. Now, doing is really important. Service is fantastic. But I want to speak to you this morning and say, hey, come on. Would you just for a moment realize that one of the most incredible things you can do is realize that you're human and God wants to be in your life and you've got to get times when you just allow him into your life and not just do, do, do. Do all the good things. You could be, you know what? The interesting thing is, it says works will never save you. Being just a good person will never save you. And you know what? That may seem harsh on God's part. God! But didn't he say when someone gets to heaven, he says, you know what? I've done all this. And God says, I never knew you. In other words, God's saying, I never knew your heart. You never stopped to give me a moment. You never stopped to give me a, a time. But ridding ourselves of compartmentalizing God, getting rid of that. I start to focus on how God is moving and all the things of my life. And I start to focus on who I am and what I'm becoming and not just what I do. Because the reality is, out of what you're becoming is character is built, not what you do. So you've got to build your character. Lay it as a foundation so what you do can have something strong to stand on. And see, you know, the, the, the truth is, I'm a dad who loves my wife, who loves my children, who loves my grandson. And I go to church. And then I, sometimes I go to the beach. And sometimes I do other things. Uh, you know, all those things. But it's, I've got to see that as my part in the context of who I am and not just what I do. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good grandfather. I want to be a good father. I want to be a great husband. And I can do all the things I do. I mowed the lawn this, yesterday. It took a long time. <laughs> it was raining and sunshiny. When did that come, by the way? <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, and I thought, you know, Michelle will enjoy having this lawn mowed. But, you know, it's just not about mowing the lawn. It's about becoming the husband she wants to see as well. And to be honest, I know that she's not that excited about the lawn mowed, whether it gets mowed or not. But it's probably just me sometimes. But the truth is, to become a better husband, I've got to do more than just mow the lawn. To become God's child, I've got to do more than just come and sit in a church. I need to know him and love him and serve him out of that. 
You see, you don't have a life, folks. You don't have a life. You are a life. Can we stand this morning? We're going to just sing in a moment this last song. It's a great song. There's great songs this morning. They always are. We're just going to worship it one more time. But I just want to challenge you this morning. I want to pray for you today where you stand. And I, want to just, I just want to pray that you would consider and take time to reflect. You know, you're looking at a person who's still probably, not probably, has still got areas that when God puts his hand upon them, I realize the attitude's got to deal with that, got to deal with that, that he's just wanting to yield up to him. Things I've just got to give over. Things that I just locate God in this part, but not that part. So this is my prayer. Can we close our eyes? Heavenly Father, today, we come before you and I pray for um, these people today. I pray for myself, but I pray for them. Father, that there would be this week that we would take the moments. And maybe when, especially, you know, tempers get frayed, attitudes get a bit pushed, get a bit angry, that we'd realize there's something behind that that you want to deal with. That you'd give us the courage and the strength to be able to let you come in and deal with that, Father, so that we could be different, not to win brownie points with you, so that we could just be better people for your kingdom's sake. And we can enjoy life, and like the young man in this story, have life and not just have a form of it. Have real enjoyable life and not have this emptiness. Father, for those who feel some emptiness in their hearts, may they see today that no possession, no thing, no person, no position, no title will ever fulfill them like you can in their lives because it's in you we live and move and have our being. Father, we would just say, help us today to live for you and not for ourselves. Help us, God, because I know you give fullness of life, not just life, but fullness of it. And I desire that fullness. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Come on, for a moment, let's worship this morning.